Okay, we've been studying the book of Genesis. We started creation, uh, what, three or four weeks ago. We haven't finished chapter one yet, but we plan to do that today. Uh, chapter one we hope to finish. And so uh, we finished last week with life. God had created life and four types of life. We've got a plant life all over the earth on the third day. On uh, the fifth day, there were fish and birds and other different kinds of life. And then the sixth day, we showed animal life. And we said something at the end of the class is very important. We said that not only did he create life, but the Bible says he sustains the life that he creates. And so that there is life on this earth sustained by God. He says, He upholdeth all things by the word of His power. And by Him all things consist. And so if there is life down here on earth and it's still going, then He's the one that's allowing it to go. Now I want you to listen carefully because you can easily get confused about that. Because there are people, Hindus, um, and people like that who say, well, there is one great life force in the world. And we all, because we're not thinking, go, yeah, right, we know, that's God, right? No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying there's one great life force, and a little bit of it's in you, and a little bit it's in me, and that life force is all coming to us, and therefore we all are a little bit God. That's very much a Hindu thought, all right? And that's not a correct thought. You are not a part of God. <laughs> you are not, all right? And so when they say we're all, and of course, they talk about being reincarnated, 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 and finally you reach nirvana, which is I'm at union with the God, I'm finally God. Well, you are never going to be finally God. It's not what we are, and not who we will ever be. So when I say God is sustaining, the Bible says God is sustaining. Like he gives life to fish and birds and plants and animals, and He's able to give that gift to them, and then they die. All right, but they are independent of. They are not Him. All right, He's able to give independent life to people, and so. Uh, we said he was a sustainer. He sustains life. Not only did he create life, but he sustains it at all times. And so the reason gravity works is because he sustains all things by the word of his power. The reason centrifugal force works is because he sustains all things by the word of his power. And the reason uh, that the seasons come and go is because he sustains all things by the word of his power. So he's controlling the world. He is the controlling. So he created, put it into being, gave life to all sorts of types of life, like we said, the four different kinds there. And then uh, he uh, sustains that life. Now, we go on to finally, we're in the sixth day of creation, and we go on now to the creation of man. And that's where we're going to think tonight. And we're going to blow the lid off a few things tonight. Because this is where uh, things get ramped up. And things really change. And we're going to see something that's pretty powerful. It's a very important thing. All right. So we are in chapter 1. We're going to finish it up. It's the sixth day of creation. First day, light, right? Second day, atmosphere. Third day, dry land and oceans, and then covered with plant life. Fourth day, above us, sun and moon and stars. Fifth day, uh, fish and, and birds. And the sixth day, animals. 
And then we come to the other six-day creation. Verse 26 now, chapter 1 of Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree, which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat or food. And to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth on the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And so the plant life was all meant to be eaten. That was going to survive how everybody was going to survive. God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so he has created a human, put him in charge of the earth. So we want you to have domination over what we have done so far. All right? And that's important. But you, we read one thing that stands out as the most important thing uh, in chapter 1. And the most thing, important thing in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and the most important thing in Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going. All right? You won't find anything more important to you than this statement in chapter 1. He's going to tell us something that will mean everything to you and me. Verse tw- chapter t- 1, verse 26. God said, let us... That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working together. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. All right, so he says we will make man in God's image. You can be thrilled to death with that. That's a wonderful thing. That's the best thing you've heard in a long time. And it is the idea that these things that were created each had life, life type of their own. But when he came to man, he gave it a different life, a different type of life, and they are made unique. All right, now we've been talking about evolution and the problems in evolution, and here. Uh, we can come to that <coughs> problem, we think, for a while, that uh, when it comes to evolution, we had everything was an accident. Right? And the point being, the point of evolution and its beginning the idea of that thesis is the idea that there is no God to create. Alright? There's no God. God is not involved in creation. God had nothing to do with it. One day in the primal ooze a flash of lightning hit a mud puddle and all of a sudden there was a one cell amoeba and that, and there was life. All right? And that one cell amoeba got zapped again, and he became two cells. And then he grew a leg and crawled out of the mud. All right? And so he had an amoeba that learned how to breathe air, crawling out of the mud, and he became a bird and grew feathers. How did it all happen? Accidentally. Everything was accidental, all right? Now, when you want to include God and say, well, God created it, then we have what we call intelligent design, all right? There's a design in things, and it's an intelligent design. We talked about some of the examples. We talked about the husk on a coconut. 
falls into the ocean, floats out to sea, gets washed ashore somewhere else, and then grows, all right? If no husk, no, no coconut. <laughs> so we had intelligent design. A big old husk on a coconut keeps it floating until it grows again. And we talked about a bee's knees, right? The front legs of a bee have a little crook in them were filled with hairs. And if they didn't have that, they'd suffocate with pollen. So they go into a plant and they're reaching down for nectar and they get all jammed with pollen. And so they would suffocate. You can't wait a million years for those hairs to grow so you can get rid of the pollen. It gotta be there the day you go into that pollen. All right, and we talked about that intelligent design and to say that all those things happen by accident. Uh, is kind of outrageous, okay? And we talked about the idea with evolution that everything gets better. Everything gets better as it goes along. It keeps improving. It goes from small to large. It goes from simple to complex. And the theory of evolution is based on that. Basically, from the idea, we don't want there to be a God, and so we're going to figure out some way that the world came to be without God. And so it's entirely accidental. That's what they say. Right? Nobody designed it. Nobody made it. Nobody created it. It all just evolved and slowly happened. And now we've got, you know, thousands of different kinds of flowers because they evolve. This flower said, I think I'll be purple now. And it gets to be kind of ridiculous, all right? And one of the things over in Romans chapter 1 that we read here, Romans chapter 1, Because the very idea that there is no intelligent design in creation is really outrageous. And it can only come from the idea that we don't want there to be a God. And so here we have Paul talking about what we've been talking about, creation of the world. We look around us and we see what's been done, what God made. And here it is. All right. Verse 19 all right, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Or God showed people who he was. How did he do it? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal and power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And Paul says, you look at creation and you ask yourself, okay, if evolution is true, why didn't everything just stay a blade of grass? Wouldn't that be the easiest thing, just to grow grass, <laughs> all right? Why is there a tree that's 100 feet tall? What happened? Well, it's an intelligent design. And why did that tree grow and it makes these nice big red apples? Because <laughs> it's an intelligent design. There's been a design in nature. And what he's saying is that you can look at all these things and then say, nope, no God. He said, sorry, no excuse. You can't say well, I don't believe there's a God. you got no excuse if you look at nature. He says it's clear that God was behind it. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They're going to prove that there is no God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There you go. All right, you know, there's no God, look around you. No, we're not going to say, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into image, make like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. All right, and so they said, with no God, we're going to worship what we want. We talked about the Egyptians in the past worshiping the fish in the river. 
worshiping the frog by the river, worshiping the river itself, worshiping the cows, worshiping the sun, all the things that they worship, anything in place of God. When Moses says, God said, let my people go, what did Pharaoh say? Who's God? And I should listen to him. Okay, and so that attitude is what he's describing here. There's an attitude about uh, creation. It's clear enough that God is real, clear enough that God is there. And so we are without excuse. The world won't go up to heaven and say, sorry, I didn't know. Did you ever drive by a tree? Did you ever look at a flower bed? Did you ever look at a mountain? Did you ever look at a rushing river? All evidence that intelligent design placed everything in its where it is. And so we have evolution saying, all right, everything happened by accident. Somewhere something got mutated, a little electrical charge here and there, and it kept mutating, getting better and better and better, and finally we got a human. We became human, and humans were the best yet. We evolved more than anything else. And here it says, God made man in his own image. God made man in his own image, all right? So let's go here for a minute. God is what we call self-existent. What do we mean by that? Well, he exists because he exists. He doesn't exist for any other. You exist because God made you, okay? And God blessed our parents, and here we are, right? And uh, that's why we exist. God doesn't exist for any reason, his existence he draws out of himself. And so when Moses said to God, who do I tell him sent me? What did he say? I am that I am. Or I exist because I exist. I exist because I exist. And so God is self-existent. And the earth came to be. All right. Well, he said, well, we don't want any God to create. Well, (laughs) if it's not existent and it came to be, it had to have something before it that made it came to be. And so it has to be a self-existent person outside of creation that doesn't depend on creation, but only draws life out of his own self And he is eternal, therefore, always existed, always will exist. Never never was a time when God was not. Matter of fact, he doesn't even function with time. He's outside of time. And so if God is there, he, and if the earth came from nothing, where did it come from? It didn't make itself. All right, it didn't make itself. It had to be a self-existing person already there and like I said a couple times, they asked Albert Einstein how the world came to be. He said, it was a giant explosion. And they said, well, who lit the fuse? And he refused to answer, all right? Because the answer is what? A self-existent person outside of creation started. So now we're going to ask a question. We're going to ask a question. One word question. It's going to be one word. We're going to blow evolution into a million pieces with a one-word question. All right? Here it is. Why? Why? I'm going to say to the guy who believes that there is no God and the world came to be, I'm going to ask him one question. I want to know why. Why? Why do we exist? Why do we exist? Well, he says we exist by accident. That a series of accidental 
evolutionary steps came to be and from a one cell accident we kept improving, 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 improving until we had a human. I want to know why humans exist. If you say that evolution is real, then the only answer is this. There is no purpose in your life. There's no meaning in your life if you accidentally came to be. There's no purpose, no reason for your life, no meaning in your life if your existence is purely an accident. Then there's no meaning in life. And if you're going to look over there and say, well, that monkey used to be my cousin. (laughs) And unfortunately, I was on the side of the family where things got a little better. (laughs) And I I came out okay, and now I'm human. If you want to take that point of view, and you're going to stick with that, then I'm going to say your life has no meaning. You're an accident. There's no reason for you to be here. You are an accident. All right? Now, what we just read is entirely different. There's a purpose for your existence. There's a reason for you to be here. There is meaning in the fact that you live and breathe. And it is you were created in God's image. Best thing ever happened to you. So, when God's creating a fish, it's a fish. Lives and breathes in the water, unique, okay, but he's a fish. You got goldfish at home or whatever, talk to them all you want, you know. They tell us, oh, the whales are so intelligent, they communicate with each other. I haven't read any of their books yet, okay. Uh, You know, come on. You know, they say, well, the dolphins are the smartest creatures out in the ocean. Well, I've never been in a dolphin city. All right? If monkeys are so smart, why don't they build a house? Okay, obviously, it's clear that as we look at an animal and say, well, I love animals. Okay, you can love them. God loves them, too. He put them down here. He made them to be. You can love them, but they ain't never going to build a house for you. All right, they're not going to invent a car. They're not going to turn on the TV. They are limited creatures. Now, when God said, I'm going to make man in my image, that is, I'm going to give him characteristics that are similar to mine. He's not making you God, but he's giving you life, and in that life uh, are things about you that are the image of God, all right? And so we can put a few down. Uh, You have intelligence, right? Do we all? Yeah, I hope so. We all have a mind. We can think, all right? We can reason in our minds. That's from the image of God that he put on us so that we would have a similarity to him, okay? Um, We are complex beings. That old fish, he breathes that water and that's what he does and swims around and eats and dies. Okay? Or you eat him. (laughs) Okay? But we are complex. Uh, We have a a, a physical body and uh, we have a soul and we have an eternal spirit put in us, all right? We are complex, more complex than, than animals are. And you say, well, how do you know animals don't? Well, they bark, they always sound the same, right? I like the birds that have different songs. A cat bird has different songs, two or three, all right? You can sing two or three different. Most birds sing exactly the same song. An oriole you know is an oriole because he always sounds like an oriole. Cardinal is a cardinal, all right? They only have one song. Humans have been given the ability to communicate uh, through the soul. They're able to communicate in a much more different way than animals. That's another part of the uh, complex 
image of God that's put on us, all right? Uh, we are also able to express emotion. And that's a very important thing. We are able to express emotion as part of the image of God you feel. You feel happy, you feel joy, you feel sadness, you feel anger, you have feelings, emotions, and you express those emotions, and those are part of the image that God put on you. And then also, which I think is fascinating as we've been talking, you are little creators. All right, now God said, let there be stars, and there's 100 billion. I can't do that. <laughs> can't do that, all right? But you can do something original, all right? You can write a song. It's an original song that nobody ever thought of before. You can write a book. You can do a painting. All right? Those things are little bits of a creator that are inside of us that God put in us. And some people can create a beautiful building. I think the old fella, uh, Israel Sanborn, built this church, was a creative fella. All right, he did a beautiful job, and uh, we've seen his work. And so God allowed us to be uh, creative, all right, to experience emotions. We're complex, we have intelligence, we can communicate, all right, we can talk and so forth. And those are the characteristics of God. He has those characteristics. He's much better at it than we are, okay? Obviously, he's a superior creator to our little abilities, but he said, I give you the right, the ability to create, too. You can paint a picture, you can do something and create, all right? So God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make humans, I'm going to give them my image, they're going to be like me. They're going to have a similarity to me. Now, why is that such a good thing? Why would God do that? Right. Well, you tell me. Why would you, he make you in God's image? He gave you a mind so you can think. So he wants to talk to you. He wants you to think with him. All right? He made you complex so you can feel. He feels. So I want you to feel what I feel. All right? He wants you to communicate, express your emotions, dig inside and find the creative urges inside of you and pull them out. Why? Because he wants to talk to you. He wants to have you like him so that you're not talking to a dog, okay? Enjoy your dog, okay, but he's a dog. God wants to talk to a being that he can communicate with. Why does he want that? Because he put a man here named Adam, and God loved Adam. So the reason he created man in his image is I want to have a relationship with him. I'm going to create these beings and we're going to talk and we're going to know each other. And we're going to experience. And I put him in. And so just think about what he did. I, I think quite a few years ago now, when my father first died, the house behind me was empty. So we had a secret. <clears throat> Christmas was coming. I said to my wife, we're going to take that whole house and turn it into a Christmas house, and we're not telling anybody until Christmas Eve when they all come here. And so secretly, we decorated the house all in the rafters, anywhere you could put a decoration. We put up that 16-foot tree, and we hid all the gifts back there. And the kids and everybody came over, and they said, well, where's the presents? Ah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we ate Christmas Eve dinner, and we walked down the house. And when they walked in, there they were. And that's one of the most delightful Christmases I ever had. 
because we surprised them. And there it was. This is all for you. That, that uh, snowman up on the rafter, I hope you like him, all right? They still say, where's the snowman? They want it up on the rafter after all those years. And so I want to create something that they would enjoy. What do you think that is? That's God creating something so that the person he's going to put here will say, <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Can you believe it? And look, let's go into chapter 2. We'll talk more about this in a second. Verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. So Adam is the first human on earth, and he takes chemicals from the ground, puts them together, we're mostly water, right? Puts us all together and he creates this body and then he's going to breathe life into that body. And at that moment, Adam opened his eyes and, and you know, God said, how you do? <laughs> I just created you and I've made this for you. Now, where did he put him? Let's see where he put him. Verse 8, chapter 2. Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight, good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and thence it was parted, became into four heads. And he goes on to explain uh, that there was gold laying on the ground. And you, Adam opens his eyes, and now he's conscious for the first time, and because he's filled with an intelligent mind, he's looking, and he said, wow, God made beauty. God, this is fabulous. What a garden this is. And God said, see that red thing there? Eat it. Hmm, raspberry. <laughs> God made flavor. He, he filled the earth with flavors. Can you imagine trying these things for the first time? What do you think, Adam? Try that one there. And he pulls a banana down. Yeah. <laughs> Peel it first, okay, and then eat it. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And think of the flavors that God made. God made chocolate. We didn't make it. God made it. What a, what a world. He created, and Adam now is fully conscious and intelligent, way more intelligent than we are, okay? Really intelligent. And he's walking around, and he's just, wow. And then the sun went down, and he looked up. Look at that. And God said, I did that for you, too. I did this for you. I wanted you to feel... And I made this whole thing for you. It's my gift. Here's the world. I want you to have it. Here it's yours. And Adam walked around and tasted things and looked at things and felt things and watched some cheetah run by and saw a bluebird flying overhead and everything he just said, it's unbelievable. I can't believe it. What a place you've made, and you put me in a special spot. He made the Garden of Eden. And so when he's on the, the what was it, the, the fourth day, the third day, whatever, fifth day, third day, he made plants, right? And what's he thinking? Well, I'm going to make plants that are going to astound Adam. And so there's a fruit tree of all kinds, anything you can imagine. And they're everywhere, all through the garden. He says, eat, eat, enjoy, taste that. Look at that berry on it, that blueberry, eat that. Oh, that's good. And so he filled the world with pleasures upon pleasures, beauty upon beauty, a staggering view up in the sky. And he said, 
I wanted you to have it. I'm going to give you dominion over it. So you're going to be a little bit like me. You're going to have dominion. And I'll give you dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds that fly. And you're in charge. I made this world for you. And I gave you the ability to comprehend it, understand it, and to realize what I have done and to, in your own small ways, create yourself. As you look at my creation, you create something yourself. He said, that's what I wanted for you. And boy, I'm enjoying you, Adam. And God said, well, I guess so. Adam said, this is fabulous. It's beautiful. What a place you made for me. And so, isn't that a lot better than you all happened by accident? And what's the reason you exist if it all happened by accident? Well, I exist because an accident happened. I got no purpose, no reason. Forget that. That smashes that in a million pieces. You are made in God's image with the ability to comprehend, the ability to understand, the ability to take it in and to experience these things and to enjoy them. And so in creation, God put Adam in a special garden while he's creating, filling the whole world with grass and trees and plants and all things. He says, I got this one spot, though. I'm going to make this fabulous. And we call it the Garden of Eden. And he makes a special garden, and they're going to go there, and they're going to live there. What a thing it's going to be. All right, now, let's take a look a little farther. Verse 21. Well, let's go to verse 20. Chapter 2 now. Verse 20. Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. <clears throat> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and shall be one flesh. And so, so I'm going to create for you something, Adam, because there's a problem. It's not a problem. Don't ever think, and people will say, well, why did God make Adam and say, here the world is yours, and then he's all by himself. What did it say in chapter 1? It said, he created on the sixth day male and female, right? Male and female. And so when we read, we get a little careless and we say, well, forget chapter 1. I'm in chapter 2 now. No, no. We've got to keep chapter 1 in mind. So on the sixth day, he creates humans. Adam and now Eve. Why Eve? Why does he come along with Eve? Because he says... I want you to feel what I feel right now. I created you to talk to you. And what is it going to tell us that God came down every evening and said, let's walk and talk. And they walked and talked together in the Garden of Eden. What an experience. God is so delighted with Adam. He's so delighted with the fact that he has a being who can talk and can think and can reason. All right? I mean, God loves his animals. No doubt about it. He wouldn't have created so many. He didn't. But humans, there's somebody in my image and I can communicate and I can have a relationship with him and when Adam is walking around looking at the trees and tasting the fruit and doing all that uh, and God is, <laughs> it makes me so happy I'm thrilled with Adam and he said now the feeling that I feel towards Adam I want him to have that feeling. So I'm going to make a woman. So that he has somebody 
to say, <laughs> come here, taste this. Try this. Here's the best flower I can find. It's for you. And so it was love that created the world. As God knew that he was going to create a human. And that human was going to purpose. What? It says, the Bible says what? And God has created all things. And for thy pleasure they were created. And so God, when he creates Adam, he says, man, I'm so happy. I'm thrilled with this. And I want Adam to feel like I do. And so I'm going to create a woman. And that day, Adam took a nap. And God says, took a rib out of him. Uh, some people think, and I don't think it's unreasonable, that uh, uh, that rib was like that. And as we look at it now under a microscope, we call it deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA. Sort of shaped like that, if you've ever seen pictures of them. Uh, or that God took DNA out of Adam and he made female. He said he made male and female on the sixth day. And so it's a fantastic reason to say, here's why I exist. Because God loved me so much, so much, that he wanted to put me, give me all the best things you can imagine. He put them in the Garden of Eden and said, hope you like your new home. You kidding me? <laughs> this is fabulous. It's unbelievable. That's when we start, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did he decide to do that? Because he's going to make a human in his image. And he's going to talk to him. And he's going to share with him. And he's going to reach out to him and draw him to himself. And he's going to love him. And so the creation, as we stand and look at it, we say, the only thing I can think of is love. You know, look, look at those. Love created that was love as a driving force and so when he first said I'm going to make heavens I'm going to make earth and I'm going to do it because I'm going to put a person there and I'm going to stamp on him my image he's going to be like me all right so next time somebody says uh, well what do you think about evolution say hey I got a reason I exist maybe you're accidental all right, but I got a reason. I'm here because God loved me and God loves us and he created this beautiful world for us to come and experience and be a part of. That's why I'm here. I am in the image of God so that God could communicate with man. Okay? Now, God knew what was going to happen. He always knew. The Bible says that before time, before there was a world, before the earth was created, that God the Father uh, sat down and he said, we want to create a being that we can communicate with and love. And we want to do that. And if we're going to what we really want for man is to love God back. And God said, I want to create a race, and I want to love them with all my heart, and I want them to love me. And I know one thing that's very important. Quite a few years ago, when my kids were small, we used to go to Uncle Ed's every summer, stay there for a week or two. And he had what he called the teeny tractor <laughs> and a wagon on the back. It was just a lawnmower. He called it the teeny tractor. And when the kids were small, they'd jump in the wagon, we'd take the teeny tractor and go down the woods, take a ride. 
A lot of fun. We'd go right around through the woods and see everything and come back. One day, this fella came, the uncle adds, he brought a couple grandchildren. And there was one little girl, same age as my kids, maybe six years old. And uh, so I made a suggestion. I said, hey, why don't I take all the kids and we'll go for a ride on the teeny track. Now this old fella was filthy in more ways than one. He was drunk most of the time. And most people said he was disgusting. And that was true. And so I said, well, I'm a, well I think I'll take the kids for a ride. And uh, said, check with Grandpa and Grandma and see if you can go. And Grandpa spoke up. He says, you can't go till you kiss me right here. And that little girl did not want to do that. Now, I read about being righteously angry, and I say, stay away from it. You can't control your anger. But I was righteously angry that day, as I've ever been. And that poor little girl wanted to go so badly, wanted to go. And he said, not till you kiss me right here. And she wouldn't do it. And now I fell off. I'm thinking, if I'd have shut my mouth, and maybe this wouldn't have happened. Well, then he made a big deal of it. If you're my grandchild, you're not against me right here, you're not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, how can I retract it? What can I do? Well, he wasn't going to let it go. And finally, that little girl went over and kissed him. I said, get in, honey, we're leaving. And off we went for the longest ride I ever gave. You can't force anybody to love you. That little girl hated her grandfather for many, many reasons and for many good reasons. And the last thing she wanted to do was plant a kiss on his filthy mouth and on his filthy cheek. And she didn't want to do it. And I was brokenhearted, but I got her in the wagon. We took the long road three or four times. I said, I'm not taking her back till dark. And see, God had a problem. The only way these humans he created with the intelligence and the emotion and all that could love him back was they had to choose to do that. And he couldn't say, I made you there, sit there and love me. Or he'd just be like that other old pig I just described. God was not going to do that. So God said, I'm going to make man. And, you know, and God knows everything. And the Spirit and the Son and the Father are talking, well, if we make man... We got to give him the choice to love us back. Because it's only real love is what people choose. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to create a race of people that may say, we don't want God? Are you willing? And God, in his eternal mind, said, well, the fact of the matter is we know they're going to reject us. We know. So what are we going to do? And so, how are we ever going to get them to love us of their own volition, of their own choice? How are we going to do that if they wander away from us? And so God said, well, <clears throat> somebody's got to pay the price. And God the Son said, I'll go down. Prepare me a body. The Bible explains it. Prepare me a body 
and I'll go down into that body and I'll go down and live with the grace and then I'll die and I'll pay for every sin that they ever commit. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them will stand up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Pay for all my sins. Made me free. Thank you, thank you. And Jesus said, I'll do that. I agree to be the one to go down and do it now. Here's the reality for you to grasp. Jesus came down and took a human form, and he's born in that manger. Looks just like a regular baby, like any other baby that was ever born. There he is. He's arrived. Is he human? Yeah, he's all human. He's all God, but he's all human. He eats, he drinks, he gets tired, he walks, he talks, does everything human do. Why was it that Jesus could say, I'm going down and I'm going to do that for the human race? The only way it was possible was that we were made in the image of God. We had a likeness to God. And so when he came down, he wasn't turning into something that wasn't like him at all. It was like a hand fitting in a glove. Because we were created in God's image. And so when God came down and took up a human form, it wasn't out of sync for him. He was exactly what he needed to be, living in a human form, because humans were created in the image of God. The only reason you're saved tonight, the only reason you're going to heaven when you die, is you were created in the image of God, and God could come down and fill that image and live among us and then die for all our sins. So when he said, I'm going to make God in his, our image, not only did he love the ones he was making, which he certainly did, but it went far beyond what we ever dreamed it would be. He would come down and die for them because they were created in his image. That's the best thing ever happened to you. You're carrying around the image of God. What happens now? God comes and lives in our heart. Right? Jesus said, I'll come and live. I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to live right inside of you. How can he do that? Because you carry around the image of God. So in Genesis chapter 1, we not only get the reason for creation made in the image of God, and that God could love somebody, but we get the whole plan of redemption. He died for us. He came down because he filled the image like a hand sliding into a glove. And he could do it because we were made in that image. So in chapter 1 of Genesis, there's nothing really in the Bible superior to the idea, I will make man in my image. What does that do to evolution? Are you kidding me? It's a laughing stock. It's a joke. It's the biggest joke you ever heard. You mean nothing? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh no. God is real and you meant so much to him. Not only did he fill this world with everything that you would ever need, he also put you in you characteristics that he could communicate with. And then knowing that we would reject him, knowing that we would reject him, he said, make him in my image. And I'll come right down and I'll rescue him. And then later on, I'll come and live inside of him. Why? Because you got a mind, you got a, an intellect, and you can understand who God is and that you can have a part of him living inside of you. The real part of God coming and living inside of you. And God lives in my heart. You ask me, he says, how I know he lives what? He lives within my heart. There he is. And so, 
that's a pretty big deal. When you come to creation and you're looking at the stars, and you're, man, it's fabulous. Yes, it is. But when you get to that one verse, let's make man in God's image. Wow. That made everything what it is today. It is the wisdom. Talk about intelligent design, right? There is intelligent design. Humans with the ability to think and feel and create and experience emotion and all those things made in God's image. And so he could come down. He's thrilled to create them a world that they did so enjoy. And it was because God loved Adam so much, he so much enjoyed the experience. He said, I'm going to have to give him somebody. Let's make Eve. And so on the sixth day, he made all the animals. And then what did he do? Wow. Created humans. So we were meant to exist for God's pleasure. That never changed. You are still. Your existence here, your breathing here tonight was meant to bring pleasure to God. That's why you're here. We got a reason. We got a reason. We're not standing here saying it's accidental. I don't know why I'm here. No, 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 no. We got a good reason. Because God made us in his image. So we got just out of chapter 1 into chapter 2. And he said, it's going to work so good. So I'm thinking, you know, Adam meets Eve, right? Eve meets Adam. You say, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, sometimes you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. He said, wow. <laughs> yeah, and she said, yeah, it's good. And it was so good. It was so good that he said, I can see from this. I can see from this first experience, the first five minutes, as Eve is standing there and Adam's standing there, and they're looking at the world that God gave them, and everything is so happy. They're so happy. He says, this has worked so good. My idea was so good, I'm going to make it forever. People will be married. They're going to be married. And that's my plan. It's going to be good. It'll be delightful. You say, well, it doesn't always turn out that way. Well, that's in chapter 3. Because <laughs> evolution never tries to and can't, obviously, answer another question. We talked about why. All right, here's the next question. Sin. What about that? If man is evolving and constantly getting better and better and better and better and better, why is there sin? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there wrong in the human heart? Can you tell us evolutionists? And got another minute? In the history of the world, when evolution was rising to the top, 1800s, in early 1900s, and I talked about the people who deceived at that time with uh, different fossils and so on. Well, when that was rising to a point, there were people who actually believed that the world was just going to get better and better and better because people were evolving, and so pretty soon the whole world will be in love because we'll all evolve and it'll be just beautiful. All right, and I want you to know that the church thought that in those years, in the 1800s, there was a church who thought that the world is going to get better and better. We're going to spread the gospel of Jesus. It's going to go to Africa, South America, and get all over the world, and we're going to be one big, happy, earthly family. And we have it even in our hymn books. If you look at the age of some of the hymns in there, You'll see they were written back in that time. The darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning shall turn to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom will come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. And they said the world's just going to get better and better and better, and finally Jesus will come. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. All right? There's a problem. Chapter 3. 
and the problem. Now, we still aren't finished with chapter two, but I don't have time to go on, see? There's a whole other story I want to tell you. But I ain't got time, so, because I get carried away. So there's a whole other story about chapter two that you're going to need to understand. So we'll try to go back and tell you a little bit about uh, correct interpretation from chapter one, chapter two, because there's some crazy ideas out there uh, that we can just fix in a few minutes next week. So you understand, when you hear these ideas, you'll be able to say, oh yeah, Eric explained that. It's not that hard, but we'll talk about that next week. Chapter two, how does chapter one in Genesis relate to chapter two? How are they? Well, chapter one is, here's what happened, day one, day two, day three, day five, day six, right? And then chapter two, in the beginning, day seven, God rested. Okay, he got everything made in six days, and day seven, God rested. And then it goes on to say things, and everybody said, well, well I'll tell you next week. Thanks. <laughs>